Well, good morning, everybody. I know. Hey, Doug. How's it going? Uh, so great to be with all of you this morning as we gather for worship. I know some folks are still trickling in, but as folks enter, if you can, be sure to like wave some folks over. If you've got an open seat next to you, scoot towards the middle, scoot towards the front. We want to make sure uh, that we're able to have a space for everybody uh, in our sanctuary this morning as we begin our worship. Uh, before, we, before we begin with uh, our worship through music this morning, uh, we just want to center our hearts and prepare our bodies and minds for worship. And so I'm going to invite uh, Jeremiah Kylie up to come and read from Romans for us this morning. Good morning. Therefore, uh, the scripture reading today is from uh, Romans 5, 1 through 8. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. If we're able to, let's stand together. Let's come before God together, honestly, wholeheartedly. Oh, Lord, we sing of your faithfulness to us. When burdens press, and seem beyond endurance bow down in grief to god i lift my face and then in love god gives me sweet assurance my child for thee sufficient is my grace then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou With your hands, Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the Lift your voice, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great 
can I keep from singing your praise? How could I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? And how can I keep from shouting your praise? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart wanna sing. Let's sing that again. Oh, how can I keep from singing your praise? How could I ever? How could I ever be loved? How amazing is your love? And how can I keep from shouting your praise? I know I am loved by the King. Oh, we sing of you, our great creator, redeemer of life. In the sunrise of your love for us. We're awakened. We're awakened by your smile. And I remember you are all can hear you call me child. Lift up your praise and sing. Singing oh this is a day the day our God has made rejoice and be glad in day. Oh, this is a day the day upon us in this place and over all the earth we will tell of what you've done and as we glorify and bless you oh hallelujah we will see your your people singing of you, singing oh, this is the day, the day our God has made, rejoice and be glad in it, oh, this is the day, the day our God has made, rejoice. our great creator and redeemer we give you praise for all that you've created and the grace that follows us we lift up who we are and all that we have to you singing oh this is a day 
day our God has made, rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, this is the day, the day our God has made, rejoice and be glad, rejoice, rejoice. Oh, we lift our grateful hearts to you, Lord. We sing. And how can I keep from singing your praise? How could I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? And how can I keep from shouting your us. We give you praise, Lord. We give you praise. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well, and I hope that you enjoy hearing yourselves sing today. I was telling the band that, uh, you know, we're a little stripped down, but we're missing one big instrument, and that's the congregation. And it is so nice to hear praises of God. It's so nice to hear the voices of God's people declaring thanks and being able to give our offerings of our voices and all of ourselves to God. And it's been really great so far for the first song to listen. I'd like us to continue our practice of offering our voices, offering our souls to God. And I'd like us to read through this confession prayer together right before we sing this next song. Would you follow me in reading this? Lord, you know who we are. You know everything we have. Amen. Lord, your people have offered themselves to you. Would you come to us, Lord? Give us grace. We ask for your peace. We sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I Trust in how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. 
lead us and guide us by your spirit. Sing, God, I look to you. And God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. Thank God I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will to you and your ways, Lord. We sing this as a prayer for our church. And God, we look to you. We won't be overwhelmed. Give us visions to see things like you do. And God, we look to you. You're where our help comes from. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, you know just what to do. This is a part of our service where we get to not only offer ourselves to God, but we also get to offer ourselves to one another as we pass the peace, the light, and the life of Christ to one another. If you have never participated in this before, it's not super difficult or anything. You go to a person that you have met or haven't met before, but I'm gonna stress that second one because you can get to know each other a little better here. And I want to invite you to say, may the peace of Christ be with you. And in return, you can say, and also with you. So now go and be the church and pass the peace of Christ together.
Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Matt Wilson, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. Before we pray over our kids and youth, we have a major, big announcement from Pastor D, who put on an event yesterday, and there's some big acknowledgments that need to be made. There, there really are some very significant acknowledgments. We yesterday had the second annual croquet tournament, some event that's close and dear to my heart. And I just wanted to say that for whatever reason, Michael Lodolf, the reigning champion, chose not to show up, so he was... Give other people a chance. <laughs> yeah, there you thanks, go. Michael. Um, so in that kind of singles category, the one person who didn't lose a match yesterday was Randy Plate, who's the uh, new um, announced leader of that. However, the thing that I want to add, yes, that's worth uh, a, a <laughs> yeah, slight Randy. whistle there. There you go, Randy. But um, the individual in doubles who uh, led, that sounds strange, individual, does, yes. but he played with multiple partners. Oh, there you go. Yes. Who uh, brought the other end of the age bracket coming in as a current seventh grader, Reed Schmelzenbaugh, oh, won the doubles thing. So I just wanted to let that be known that get ready for next year. Get ready for yeah, next year. That's all. Shout out to Reed. And in that spirit, let's pray over our children as we send them off to <laughs> their part of church and into their next um, part of their worship. So let's pray this prayer over our children. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. Children, youth, you are dismissed. We got a lot going on in the life of our church, and I'm so glad that you are here as a part of our worship. If you have a moment uh, in this service, either right now or as stuff is going on, would love for you to take out your smartphone, uh, hover the camera over this QR code, and let us know that you're here. This is a great way for you to communicate with your church staff in a very confidential way. Uh, the prayer requests that we uh, um, give in the Friday newsletter, those all come from this mode of communication. So please, if you uh, would love to let us know that you're here. Uh, a few other things going on in the life of the church. Uh, first and foremost, we have seasons of prayer continuing on on Wednesday nights. This is a time for us to gather uh, and, and learn new ways of praying. This week, Marty Parker will be uh, teaching us uh, a way of accompany, prayer through accompanying with Jesus. So would love to invite you into that. We meet at the fireside in Brown Chapel every Wednesday night and invite you into that, that time of, of gathering. Next, uh, we have a lot of events that take place here on our uh uh, campus, and uh, one of which is our Parents' Night Out. And this is coming up very soon. If you are uh, a parent, we would love for you to be a part of this. It's childcare for, uh, for you to go out and have a date. I I've already signed up our kids for this. Uh, Lindsay and I, we've already nailed down our plans. We're going to be watching March Madness. Uh, so if you want to join in watching March Madness, this is a great time. What we do need you 
to pre-register for this, we need to know how much, how much pizza to have and all of that. So we invite you into that uh, for registration for this event. Next, uh, we have uh, on the horizon uh, our uh, Holy Week events coming up. April 2nd is not too far away, and this is a time that we begin our Holy Week. And there is plenty of events to take that take place during this week. Certainly, it starts with our palm service uh, on Sunday, April 2nd, but continues on into a Good Friday service and our, uh, our Easter jam on Saturday and our Easter service on Sunday. So you can find all that information on our website and uh, all of the dates and times and whatnot. Lastly, our women's tea is coming up. Uh, I can't remember the dates exactly off the top of my head. April fifteenth, uh, I think that's what it says. Let me check this out. Great, thank you. April fifteenth is our women's tea. Once again, it's a great time for the women of our church to gather. Just as the men of our church gathered on Saturday for a croquet, the women of our church are gathering for a tea, um, listening from a speaker, being together. Uh, and having probably delicious tea. Uh, I have not gone, so I don't know how good the tea is, but I would assume it's pretty good. Uh, at this time, uh, would love to center us into a, a moment of prayer. There's a, uh, a way of praying that we've talked about, not just in our seasons of prayer, but that is popular uh, in, in our churches called Lectio Divina. It's a way of praying through reading of Scripture. Uh, and while we are created beings able to speak and to hear, uh, we are able to pray with much more than just those two senses. And the practice that I would invite you into this morning is called Visio Divina. It's a practice in which we, um, we pray with our eyes. That we take in uh, beautiful art and God's creation and pray through uh, the wonder of looking, a vision. Uh, visio divina literally means holy seeing. And so we're going to practice that this morning. A friend who is a, a watercolor artist, her name is Hannah Hammond, she, she painted this, this image of pretzels. And so I offer this as a consideration for our visio divina this morning. She writes this about this painting that she created. My third grade teacher was a nun, Sister Joanne. And during Lent, if someone had a birthday, they couldn't bring any sweet treats to school, but she would allow pretzels to be shared among the class. Sister Joanne shared with us that long ago, there was a monk who was preparing unleavened bread for Lent. And at that time, many Christians prayed by folding their hands across their chests, placing each hand on the opposite shoulder. Inspired by this posture, the monk used the leftovers to make Lenten treats for children learning to pray, twisting the dough in the shape of folded arms in prayer. So every Lent since third grade, I always make sure to have pretzels on hand to think fondly of my dear teacher, Sister Joanne, and all that she taught me about praying with childlike faith. Let's take a moment, not only considering her story, but her art. And we affirm that God speaks, uh, God's presence speaks to us even in this moment. And as we reflect on this community of twisted pretzels, 
how might God be speaking to you? Let us take a moment of silence. When considering this painting, what responses or memories stir within you? Accompanying this image, Hannah wrote this prayer. May the Lord bless you with faith like a child, learning to pray, arms crossed like a pretzel, simply welcoming the love of God. What simple reminders of God's presence can you embrace today? Lord, as we continue in worship, guide our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, that we might attune to your presence in the world, and that we might embrace what it might look like to pray a childlike prayer. As we lean into trusting you with all that we have and all that we are. We pray this in your name. Amen. Here is where I lay it down Every burden, every crown This is my surrender this is my surrender here is where i lay it down every lie and every doubt this is my surrender and i will make room for you to do whatever you want to do whatever you Do whatever you want to Do whatever you want to Here is where I lay it down Every burden, every crown This is my surrender 
this is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Whatever you want to, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. trust in you, Lord, and only you alone. Shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better, your way is better. Shake up the ground of all my tradition, down the walls of all my religion, your way is better, your way is better, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my continue in our worship together through the reading of the word read by Doug. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm going to have the privilege of reading from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 20. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, that is Jesus, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with 
and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Praise Band. Thanks to all of you for uh, joining in and uh, digging into this passage with me. Before we jump into the passage, I would like to make reference to um, something that I think is going to show up right behind me in a second, which has to do with one of the values of our church here. Um, one of the values of our church here is to recognize the um, kind of framework through which some people understand the movement of the church for the last 2,000 years. That there is at least, and this is overly simplified, I understand that, a recognition of six general ways by which our community of faith expresses the good news. And it seems, looking back over history, that when one of these six areas is not represented very well, that it creates a vacuum, and out of that vacuum, a small group or a group of people or a movement begins to take place to try and filled that vacuum. We've talked about these in other times, um, both in Sunday morning worship as well as in classes. But I have, from my own journey, taken some of these movements of the Christian faith and identified one of the ways that they might help us in our um, journey of faith. That there are two, the holiness tradition and the contemplative tradition, that certainly speak about all of the Christian life, but give us particular um, instruction on what it means to grow in our relationship with God, the ways by which we take what is happening inside of us and how it comes out in our actions and our behavior and our hands and our words. The holiness tradition helps us to understand that. It's not the only thing it helps us understand, but that certainly is part of it. The contemplative tradition invites us into what happened just a few moments ago as we sat in silence and reflected on a particular image or a thought or a scripture reading. An invitation to pause long enough to let God break through the business of our life. It's not all the contemplative tradition does, but it certainly invites us into that. 
that there are traditions that help us a great deal in how we worship together in community. The charismatic tradition that, um, among many other things, teaches us that we're all called to be ministers. We're all called to participate. We're all gifted in particular ways. And that together we make the body of Christ. And it's not to say that no other tradition does that. There just is a strong emphasis in that faith tradition. The sacramental tradition that um, raises for us the key moments when we together give witness to good things that are taking place. The baptism of believers is an example of that. And there are some traditions that identify more sacraments than others, but instead of trying to pick apart which, what is a sacrament and what is not, to simply say that both the liturgy of some of those sacraments and the way by which we honor God at work in the community and the rhythms of the calendar, the rhythms of worship are identified as being important areas for us to consider and to care about. And that's the sacramental tradition that does many other things but certainly helps us in our relationship in community of faith. And then some traditions that help us to recognize how important it is to see outside of ourselves. Outside of ourselves as individuals, but also outside of ourselves as a community of faith. The evangelical tradition that has over and over again drawn us to those places of sharing the good news everywhere. Around the globe, and in the neighborhood next door. And the social justice tradition that helps us to understand that meeting the needs of people is part of Jesus' calling on our life. And we step into those places that call us in those various ways. We can talk about particular denominations and where they might fit in this group of six emphasis that you see up here. There are many that fall into multiple categories. But for us as a church, one of the things that we want to do regularly is to acknowledge the importance of all of these in our spiritual journey. To give us wholeness and balance, a breadth and a depth to our faith, both individually, collectively, as a body of believers, and then how we stretch our arms into all the places that God gives us the privilege to reach. And so, whether you know this or not, you're your church staff, when we work on an 18-month church calendar, we ask ourselves very specific questions about do we have events that represent all six of these areas of the faith journey? What does our calendar look like? Is there any area that seems weak? We ask ourselves that question about worship and classes, adult you, even kid you. We, we look at it across the age span. Are, are we doing what we say we believe in? We can even look at it through the church budget and where we use our financial resources as well. I'm bringing this up again because I've mentioned it numerous times, to simply say that in our worship, we want to live into the breadth of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. You got a little bit of a taste this morning with some of the pieces of the 
Um, Visio Divino, thank you very much, Matt, for leading us in that. Um, this coming Sunday, um, the next one, the third Sunday of the month, we are, at least for a couple of months and seeing how we move, progress through there, looking at ways where we might weave into our church service some of those elements of scripture reading and prayer and the ways in which we open up God's word um, to help us to understand better the contemplative tradition, um, the sacramental tradition, and all the others that are up there. But I just want to give a context for some of the pieces that you might see that might be either unfamiliar to you completely, and I hope it goes, I hope for you it might make you go, oh, well, that's interesting. I might try that on as a spiritual discipline. For others, it might be, you know, I grew up in that tradition that did that, and I've kind of left that and moved to something else. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable or not. But then maybe the practice in the context of the broader church may give a fresh new meaning to something that's out of your history or out of your past. So we're on this journey together. We've been on this journey a long time. We have some new people that have joined us, and we're so glad you're part of this. And I just wanted to give you a context of some of the things that are very important to us in this place. So now we're going to jump in a little bit deeper into the passage that Doug read. That was so long ago, I need to remind you, it's the story of the woman at the well. <laughs> the Samaritan woman. There's a context for this particular story. Um, the story itself is Jesus is going through Samaria with his disciples, which is at least in some ways a rather unusual thing for a Jewish person to do, to go through Samaria instead of going around Samaria. The disciples leave him at Jacob's well, a place where the local people of the town get their water. And they go into town to get some food. And Jesus has an interaction with a woman who comes out there to get water. The interaction is profound and powerful at so many levels. The disciples come back and step into the conversation halfway into it. They're startled by what's going on. Again, for multiple reasons at multiple levels. Um, and then the woman is so taken with what's taken place in her interaction with Jesus that she goes back to the town and a revival starts that keeps Jesus there a couple days and uh, there's an outbreak of God's work among them that takes place and uh, probably persists long, long, long after Jesus and the disciples move on to where they were headed. We have several pieces of scripture that have led up to this. We've gone over them in some previous weeks in here. There is the calling of the disciples that takes place early on in the Gospel of John. We move to kind of a launch of Jesus's ministry in an unusual way, even though he said his time was not right. His mother said, well, yeah, but we need to adjust that. And so would you turn the water into wine at the wedding? And so Jesus does that at his mother's request. Um, there is the clearing of the temple that takes place, which is a pretty powerful moment, and um, we have renditions in some of the other Gospels. We have, um, after the clearing of the temple, we have Nicodemus. That's where we were last week, and the interaction that happens with Nicodemus. Followed by uh, 
interaction that takes place with John the Baptist and his disciples. And then we have Jesus traveling. We have Jesus at the beginning of this passage saying, I must go through Samaria. It's a strange phrase. It's very intentional. It's not that Jesus happened to be on the way someplace. Jesus is very clear. I must go through Samaria. I wonder if that is tied in at the end of the passage in verse 34 where he says, I must be about my father's business to do my father's will. God in tune and Jesus in tune with God, the two of them as one, this strong impression on Jesus, I must go through Samaria. I don't know if he knew that he had a luncheon date with the woman at the well. He just knew he had to go. This pathway at this time. And I wonder if for all of us, there needs to be this willingness, not only God, I'll do my best to follow where you lead, but even when I don't really know, I'm going to be open to whatever happens today because whatever happens today, you're going to be in it. Help me to be present with what you're doing around me today. If you were listening by chance to the podcast this past Thursday, we were talking about first impressions, Matt and myself. And in the midst of that discussion, um, Matt began talking about how this passage really echoes some things that have already happened earlier in the chapter. Well, I would do a horrible job of paraphrasing it, but it's so good in helping us to understand this bigger picture of things that the woman at the well doesn't know but that John the writer knows. So we have a couple layers happening here, but we need to understand what is John accomplishing as he weaves in this beautiful narration of the woman at the well. Matt, come on up here if you would. I, I want you to just uh, grab the microphone first because I want somebody to hear you other than me. Um, but I, I, I want you to walk us through some of these components that I just referenced and 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 tie them into the storyline, kind of, it's not just a literary analysis piece, but it is a spiritual movement for us that is masterfully woven together, it appears, by John's work. So just fill us in. Yeah, John does a fascinating thing here in this particular uh, chapter, in chapter 4. Because previous to this, as, as Dee had mentioned, uh, we have the prologue of, you know, this is the word of God who's dwelt among us, who is the uh, uh, setting up shop with us. And, and then we get this movement of John the Baptist. And right after that, Jesus' first miracle in which, you know, Mary kind of elbows him to start things going is <laughs> Jesus at a, a wedding ceremony. Mom. Yeah, mom, come on. I love that. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. <laughs> just the, like the, just do what he says, is what Mary says. Um, but he turns water into wine at a wedding ceremony. And water is a, a really important symbol, not just for uh, that moment in particular, but carries through to this passage here, in which marriage and water kind of get bound together as this celebratory thing, right? Jesus throws a rager with all of the wine that he's produced. 
I'm sorry. Wow. Excuse me. We're Nazarene. Yeah. He turns uh, wine into water. Uh, so <laughs> the next move he makes is he goes then into the temple, and is which is kind of out of sequence from the other gospels. But he goes in and points out all of the hypocrisy that's taking place. We call it the cleansing of the temple, and he yeah. quotes the Old Testament passage and saying. These people have turned what is meant for good, for God's uh, people's communion with God, and God showing up with God's people as a, as a place to make a buck. And so Jesus whips people out of the temple. And then you get this conversation that we talked of last week that you, you preached on with Nicodemus. And that Nicodemus comes out of the dark in the middle of the night by himself to meet with Jesus and clarify a few points. Like, hey, we, well, we, we know that you got some great authority, but like, can you explain what's going on here? And that's where we get sermon last week. And Jesus talking about what it means to be born again. You get this kind of interesting phrase that is, well, and, and Nicodemus pushes on him. Like, well, do I have to go back into my mom's womb to be born? What does it mean, born again? So you get this interesting kind of combination of, of things that kind of twist the reader. Well, here, oh, and I should also say this, one last thing. After, John, uh, after uh, Jesus leaves Nicodemus, that conversation is over. Jesus leaves to go to Samaria, and some scribes end up talking with John the Baptist, and they're getting frustrated that John the Baptist is baptizing, and they think he's doing it on behalf of Jesus, and that's not the case. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the Messiah, but the, I am forerunning. I'm going ahead of the Messiah. The Messiah sent me. And then we get this section. This is where we end up in this uh, conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman who is having this conversation at noon, in the middle of the day where there's no darkness. She's alone, which is unusual. Contrast to Nicodemus. Contrast to Nicodemus, yeah. in that Nicodemus also is alone, but at night. And this woman is in the middle of the day, in plain sight. And Jesus has this conversation with her, in which he introduces this idea of living water. Another... Water and wine deal. What? Yeah, what, not, what, not just water and the wine, but like, what does it mean to have living water? In the same way that, what does it mean to be born again? And then uh, Jesus immediately starts talking about her marriage, <laughs> right? Like, well, you, you've been married five times, and the person that you're with is actually not your husband. And she's put off by, like, wait, hold on. This is a Jewish rabbi who's talking to a Samaritan woman who's clearly outside of the law, who's, who is by herself, is every which way other than Jesus, Gender, race, ethnicity, everything. Religious practice, other. And then they get into this conversation about the temple. Well, the temple's in Jerusalem, and we didn't read this part, but later on in the passage, she says, well, you worship in Jerusalem. Well, we worship on this mountain. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's going to go away. And then she starts talking about Messiah. Well, when the Messiah comes and does all these things, and then Jesus says to this woman for the first time in John, I'm the Messiah. 
crescendo. Which is beautiful because Jesus along the way could have said that to, you know, at the marriage ceremony, at the cleansing of the temple, with Nicodemus. But he chooses, and John sets up this structure to, to have Jesus proclaim his messiahship to this woman who is so other. It's a beautiful moment in scripture that just is I, provocative. Absolutely. And I'll leave the rest of the sermon to you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. So we have this rather lengthy treatment of the woman at the well. That part of the lengthiness of this treatment is that it starts drawing on everything that John has included up to this point in time. The cleansing of the temple and where we worship, the question that's asked. The, the born-again peace in the living water and all of those components that we have been primed for this moment. We have been beautifully set up for several things that if we miss, we're missing John's invitation to all of us. This Jesus is setting up a new temple. Ultimately, we will find as John unpacks the rest of this gospel that the temple Jesus is setting up is in us, among us. We become the new temple for the dwelling of the Spirit. It is a proclamation that certainly could have happened earlier. But here is the first time I am the Messiah. I am the one. And the proclamation is made to one, as Matt said, that breaks every barrier, every mold, every restriction. It is a proclamation to one who is there by herself in the middle of the day for probably many reasons. We don't know all of the exact reasons, but in this moment, Jesus pushes past all of the social, economic, cultural barriers and says, I'm the one who has come. It is a crescendo for John as he writes this and invites us to feel the poignancy of this moment ourselves. That it might be a crescendo for us in our journey. Almost as if what now unfolds after this chapter is John's invitation to dig deep into a new truth that we didn't see coming. A new hope, a new message, a new truth that can set us free as we've never been set free before. So I want for a moment, if I could, to move from the large big picture as John paints it, it's from the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is 
a huge broad picture down to John's gospel and what he's trying to communicate down to the disciples and the small little town of Sychar and at the well. Let me just for a moment paint the sketch of this amazing woman and see if maybe you might find yourself in her. There are so many reasons why she would come to this moment with every defense mechanism up. And I don't know what your favorite defense mechanism is, but there's body language that has defense mechanisms to it. There, there's language we use that's so defensive. We, we can see gestures that take place and hear words and our defenses go up often without even knowing it because it's a survival mechanism. I'm not putting down defense mechanisms. They are a way by which we survive the world in which we live. But it's worth acknowledging what they do for us and then also how they hinder us and what this moment tells us about a woman who chose to let the defenses come down when she has every reason, every reason not to trust, she does. But I'd love for you to think for a moment, what are your telltale signs? I mean, you know, there is the body language that is, you know, all protective. That's a real obvious sign. But when you're talking to someone and you see a, a gesture take place, sometimes you go, oh, somehow I just put them on the defensive. I didn't mean to do that. I know I, I, when I was thinking about this, my mind actually went back to when I was a teenager learning to drive. My mom taught me to drive. Bonded our relationship forever. <laughs> but I have this very distinct memory of my mom as a passenger as I'm learning, pumping the brake when there was no brake to pump. I just see that right foot go out and she just push against the floorboard and I obviously knew she wanted me to slow down or stop or do something other than what I was doing. I am sure that with each pump of the brake, I took a couple days off of her longevity of life. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. That's a defensive gesture. You driving, you driving with somebody else, I'm sure there are times you've just put your hand up on the dashboard, just kind of gently put it up. And it's a defensive gesture that our body says what's happening inside. We also have defensive gestures that are language-driven. It's when we say something that protects ourselves. I, I think that color ID is a wonderful gift. I, I, there are times when I think it's straight from heaven. I'm not sure, but when you have color ID, are there times when you look and you go, oh, I know what that call's about. And there's this defensiveness that pops up. There's a little bit of an adrenaline push. Not necessarily of excitement. It can, adrenaline comes when there's dread or where there's fear. The body reacts to environment, environmental cues that throw off our pattern or the direction we were headed. Chronic stress is horrific when we can't ever get out of that state very physically destructive, but it's there for a reason. It alerts us to something in our environment. Sometimes it overreacts or it misreads. 
And then in relationships, it becomes very problematic. For I think I know your motive, and I really don't. You've asked a question, and I immediately go into overdrive of all that question probably implies. And I give you far longer of an answer than you ever needed because I thought your intent was to catch me at something wrong and I just overexplained stuff that you didn't care about. We all do it. It kicks in because we're worried. We're about to be questioned or um, laughed at or, or something we said left somebody hurt and I've got to fix everything so fast. Those defenses go up where I impute your motive as if somehow I know what's going on in your head. It takes away trust. It gets in the way of strong relationship. It believes in magical thinking. And there is no such thing as magical thinking. Here we have a woman who's come to the well, and for every reason she has to be apprehensive, she holds off judgment. I mean, we talk about Jesus crossing boundaries. She's a woman. She's not Jewish. Um, she, he's there alone with her. She's Samaritan above and beyond not being Jew Jewish, which had some other historical animosities. And w we offer such appropriate comments about Jesus pushing past this. But for a moment, let's acknowledge the power of this woman who steps into this place unintimidated but respectful, goes to draw water, responds to this person who addresses her, and then engages in this conversation where she honestly begins to talk about the religious traditions that she knows about. We're told that we're supposed to worship in this particular place, but you Jews, you follow a different practice. What's up with that? She steps into conversation as if in a trusting mode that this is safe space to be. Credit to Jesus for creating safe space, though his language is pretty direct. <laughs> yeah, if you only knew, I'd give you the real stuff. Well, I'd go on my defenses again. What do you mean the real stuff? I've got the bucket. You don't have the bucket, sir. Step out of my way. Not this woman, respectfully. So tell me more. Tell me more. That wonderful Visio Divina from uh, Hannah Hammond. You ought to follow her on social media. She's wonderful. Talks about the tradition of the pretzel, and makes reference to a posture of prayer during the Lenten season. A posture when children were taught at one point in time to pray, to just put their hands across their shoulder crossed. And I know that that can appear to be a defensive posture, but in the context of the storyline, it's something very, very different. It's a posture of trust. I don't know if you've ever participated in one of those uh, experiential retreats where you do initiatives and you process them as a group and you try and figure out why you weren't willing 30 feet in the air to jump from one platform to another. And 
why you held up the whole group and why the whole group hates you, let's talk about that. <laughs> There's also, as part of one of those initiatives, the trust fall, where somebody stands on a riser and they put their hands across their chest, everybody's behind them, and they have their hands out, and there's somebody at the end, and you're supposed to fall backwards blindly into the arms of your teammates, which you're not really inclined to do once they've yelled at you for not going from one platform to the other 30 feet in the air. But the invitation is to trust the team that you'll be caught, and so put your hands across your chest and do the trust fall. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of trust. Maybe a more appropriate imagery for us is if any of you have gone to a water park and climbed up three flights of stairs to the very top and there's this chute that goes down and you hope there's a pool of water at the bottom and you're not exactly how steep it is but you saw some people coming down that looked petrified and when you get at the top and you're supposed to sit down the guy who's supposed to care about your safety says now put your arms across your chest no don't put them out you don't want to try and slow down you'll bust your arm trust me on this put your hands across your chest before you go down this 30-foot drop that seems completely vertical, and depending on what you're wearing, everything just gets pulled up to the top, <laughs> it's a posture of trust. This woman teaches us that something happens in the posture of trust that can be life transformational. I live so often in a posture of defense. That posture defense leads to a pattern of fear or anxiety. The invitation of Jesus, I am the Messiah. I am the one. Will you trust? Can we engage in such a way that you might learn something new? The last song we sang was this invitation to set aside some of those things that have kept us so bound and in some ways so worried. And Jesus says, just for a moment, trust me, for I've come to bring life. I've come to bring it abundantly. I know you, he says to her. It's not been easy. The five husbands, I don't think, was a condemnation or mocking. It was just saying, I know. I, I don't know that there was an indictment about the person you're with now is not your husband. It's just, I know. Will you invite me into the storyline? that I already know. She drops the jug, runs to town. She has chills in her spine at what's happening. This is the one. It's the only revival we hear about in the Gospels. And the time is taken for Jesus to pick this woman to be the one to whom he reveals himself completely. I just want to say, 
Jesus invites us to drop our defenses and in saying that he acknowledges all of the good reasons you have to have your defenses up. He's not saying they're not good reasons. He's just saying, I invite you in this moment to receive freely what I have to offer. And if we could just a moment push away the anxiety, the fear, the apprehension, the thinking that we have it all figured out, that we know the speaker's motive, the musician's motives, the person who's sitting beside me motives. Jesus is saying, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And let's continue the story together. Into that place, I invite you to trust Jesus, to realize the price that Jesus goes and pays on our behalf. The choir is going to come and sing a deeply reflective Linton song. It's a song that speaks of this powerful sacrifice that's been made that we might have a safe space to enter into and there to trust the one we serve and the one who loves us. Father, into these moments you've invited us to our own meeting at the well with you. You've invited us together in a place where you meet us face to face. You push past all boundary lines, all structures that would hold us back. And you hold us in those moments long enough for us to realize this is a place where we can trust you and breathe in your grace. Breathe in your presence. And that you will hold our story with your story. And as the two become one, something changes. I don't even know how to express it, Lord, but I believe that it's true. So work in our hearts this morning that this new storyline becomes the pathway of life for us.
I'm going to invite you to stand for a closing blessing and benediction. I'm going to offer once again the pretzel prayer. May God bless you with faith like a little child whose arms are crossed like a pretzel, simply welcoming the love of God. May God bless you and give you peace. Have a great week.